is the story of Pablo Escobar, one of the greatest outlaws the world has ever known. And what attracted you to this project? What attracted me to this project? <laughs> Everything. Oh yeah, oh yeah is back, baby. Welcome back, everybody, to Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah, the Entourage Podcast. I am your host, J.R. Hickey. Happy 2020. Happy Season 4 kickoff of the Entourage Podcast. Hope everybody had a fantastic holidays. New Year's. January starting off right. Thank you for your patience in waiting for the podcast to come back. Took a couple weeks off. Went to Mexico with the wife. I was basically Vinny Chase on the beach with Turtle. Shooing away Ari E. And drama. I couldn't feel more relaxed, more excited to dive into season four. Got a fantastic guest kicking off season four of Entourage. Francis Ellis is the newest senior writer at BroBible.com. You may know him from his work at Barstool Sports or as a comedian in the New York City area and all over the world. Super funny, talented guy. Sat down with him digitally, of course in between Christmas and New Year's and broke down episode one of season four, Welcome to the Jundle. Kind of a different episode to start the season with because it's that weird mockumentary style that we're all used to now with television shows like The Office and Parts and Rat, but Entourage was kind of before its time. It's actually considered more of a Christopher Guest style um, than those two, but I, I refer to it as The Office and Parts and Rat because that probably relates more to the audience. If you guys haven't yet, I'm sure you are. Please follow the social media accounts at oh yeah Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Five-star reviews, they're there. I really appreciate them. If you've been enjoying the show, leave me a five-star review in the uh, podcast app that you listen with. It's uh, It goes a long way to help this podcast out. We're sponsored by Bro Bible. We're presented by Bro Bible. Huge things coming from Bro Bible myself this year in 2020. Can't wait to dive into it. Without further ado, let's dive into uh, episode one of season four, Welcome to the Jundle with Francis Ellis. Good to be back. All right, everybody, we are back for the season four premiere, Welcome to the Jundle. Super excited for my guest this week. He is a hilarious stand-up comedian, writer, Harvard graduate, and internet personality. He's the newest senior editor at BroBible.com, and he's dialing in from New York City. Francis Ellis, welcome to the Entourage Podcast. That's a great intro. My God. <laughs> right, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling welcomed and warm here. It, you know, Entourage is all about family. It's all about things working out in the end. So I thought, why don't we start off on a nice, familiar note? Yeah, that, that intro was the hotel equivalent of you, or the podcast equivalent to a hotel concierge bringing you a glass of... Uh, orange infused water <laughs> francis how was your holidays buddy they were good man uh christmas i've only had one holiday recently and that was christmas yeah that's so, right um that was good went home to maine did a show up there played with the dogs our dog tore her acl oh man while i was walking her so everybody blamed me <laughs> Like, wait, I don't. Is it one of those things? That surgery's like a couple thousand dollars, too. Yeah. You know, she's she's like 11 years old and she still thinks she's much younger. So she bounds yeah. and leaps and tries to do changes of direction to chase squirrels. And she just doesn't really have the uh, 
ligament support for that anymore. She's like a backup running back, someone who's been in the NFL for a little too long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Francis, uh, we're super excited to have you on board the Bro Bible uh, train, the Bro Bible family. Dude, I'm pumped. I love it, man. I'm I'm, I'm so I'm so pumped. Were, were you at the uh, holiday br- uh, lunch that we did, or? I was not. I was there a week later, actually. My schedule, uh, in my day job, I uh, create TV commercials, and I was in L.A. shooting a TV commercial um, for Bed Bath & Beyond. Wow, dude. So I, that was why I couldn't make it out to New York. That's really cool. I've done a lot of, I've done a few commercials as, as an actor. Uh, are you angling for me to hire you on one? Does I just might? No, I'll, I'll, well, that would be, whew, I could I could use it, buddy boy. Tell yep. you what. Yep. Um, let's talk about Entourage. Yeah. What uh? What was your relationship with the show like? When did you start watching it? Did you watch it all the way to the end? Tell tell the listeners. Look, here's the thing about Entourage. Okay, <laughs> I discovered Entourage in uh, the first season. I started wow. watching it like maybe one or two episodes in, and I remember this was back before HBO on demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was long before the DVD box set had come out, so. I was telling everybody after season two that they had to watch this show and people wow. were still skeptical. And I remember I had season one and season two DVD box sets that I had bought at Best Buy <laughs> and I brought them to a lacrosse camp <laughs> and we all, like 30 guys would just sit around on the couches at night and watch Entourage, and they loved it so much. And I was the one who I was like Moses of the Moses of Entourage, <laughs> an early early adopter. Yeah, and, That's two thousand four, two thousand five. I need credit for that. I need to be. Yeah. I need to be known as a guy who got on early. So <laughs> that's how I. Feel. Well, we we will give you that credit on the Entourage podcast Great. because this you you brought it to life, and this podcast is keeping it alive seven years after it's been off the air. Dude, I don't know how I don't know how else lacrosse players would have ever found the show. Yeah, if not truly. Me. I mean, and what a natural marriage that is. Yeah, and honestly, everyone has moments like that where. They introduced it to somebody or somebody introduced it to them. And then back then, 16 years ago at this point, there was just this communal activity around the show, which doesn't exist anymore, yeah. which is why we have this podcast. I'm so pumped, dude. We got a, it's, a re- <laughs> a, a, it's a renaissance for Entourage. Let's do it. Let's talk about uh, the season four premiere, Welcome to the Jungle. A little bit different of an Entourage episode this week. Kind of a different style, which we will get into. It aired on Sunday, June 17th, 2007. Just one week prior, Francis, the Sopranos series finale, Made in America, aired on June 10th. Oh, wow. Final scene of Made in America became the subject of much discussion, controversy, and analysis after its original broadcast. The use of the abrupt cut to black, followed by several seconds of silence, led many viewers to initially believe that their cable or DVR had cut out at that crucial moment. According to Nielsen ratings, 12 million people watched Made in America in real time, which was a 50% increase from the previous week's episode, and it was the show's best ratings in years. Were you a Sopranos fan, too? Dude, the, the, okay. So, <laughs> uh, the, for the, for everything I said about Entourage, the exact <laughs> opposite is true of The Sopranos. I didn't watch The Sopranos until this year. No way. My girlfriend and I watched the entire series um, on demand this year. Neither of us had ever seen an episode. And 
It was spectacular. Do you know how good that show is? Dude, It's you should go watch The, the Sopranos. Man, I, I, <laughs> I highly recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've I've seen it. I will, you know, dare I say it, I'm the host of the Entourage podcast. I, I probably think Sopranos is my favorite television show of all time. Boy, it, it really lived up to my, I mean, my expectations. It just, oh. Oh, it was so but good. But you also knew that that ending was coming, right? You had had to have picked up that you know, detail. All, all I knew was that the ending was controversial. But here's Got the thing: it. when when you're when you're 15 years removed from the end of the show or whatever the fuck it was, people aren't walking around spoiling the Sopranos for you anymore. True. You don't have to like point. wear headphones to work in fear that you know everyone's going to be discussing it. So, so we were blessed in that we we were so far removed from the show that we didn't ever stumble across revelations that spoiled it for us. There are tons of good Sopranos podcasts out there. Uh, off the top of my head, one is called No Fucking ZD that I recommend. It's done by two, I think, two comedians in New York. Um, it's great. I still to this day was kind of inspired by that to create something like this. And I can't believe that there are no other entourage podcasts. Hell yeah. I'm, I'm the Moses of entourage podcasts. Dude, I love it, man. You deserve this space. Thank you. Um, all right. To quickly recap this week's episode before we dive into the categories, Vince and his friends have arrived in Columbia to shoot Medellin. A documentary crew captures the action, most of which occurs behind the scenes, as director Billy Walsh steadily unravels. When Walsh demands a thousand extra soldiers, assaults the director of photography, and confesses that he doesn't have an ending for the script, rookie producer E rushes to hold things together. E hires Academy Award-winning writer Stephen Dayton to remove the pressure of writing the ending, but before the writer arrives and after E pays him $275,000, Walsh rewrites the entire script, complete with the finale his masterpiece deserves. As explosions on Pablo Escobar's compound punctuate the last day of shooting, the narrator asks Walsh whether he thinks he made a good film, and the director replies, until I see the final cut, I have no idea. But you know what? Neither does anybody else. Francis. Yo. What was your favorite moment from this episode? Oh, good question. You know, I, I, I actually really liked the moment where Stephen Gagan arrived. I was excited. The guy seemed really passionate. I, I couldn't stop thinking about what I was going to tell Stephen about what I was thinking all night. I couldn't sleep. I started writing some ideas down, and I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. I was into it, you know, on the plane. My ideas were flowing. Um, I mean, let's just say you never know if you're going to match up with the director. I woke up this morning, sitting at my typewriter. I'd written all night. He rewrote the whole fucking script. Billy! Billy! Billy, I love it. Yeah? It's perfect. Hey, boys, I'm excited to get into this. Did we pay this guy yet? Vincent Chase, Stephen Gagan, Billy Walsh, our director. Steve. $275,000 down the drain. But I have to admit, the script is good. No, it's great. It is great. And Stephen Gagan was kind enough to read it and agree before he headed back home. Thank you so hey, much. Hey, no problem. Yeah. I've had people read my work and not like it, but I've never had anybody pay me not to work. It was nice, actually. Here, here's the thing. The, this episode of Entourage made me like... It, it glamorized the idea of being a screenwriter for me. Mm -hmm. And as I went back and watched it again now, uh, I realized that of all the roles in Hollywood that are represented in this episode, the one that attracts me the most would be 
the Stephen Gagan character <laughs> to be a decorated script writer. You know, you've got Ari, who is interjecting these realistic grounding interstitials about funding and uh you know you don't do this when your studio head says this you don't do this and they're doing this so i'm panicking uh and that's the the sort of the anxious agent and then you've got e as a producer finally and you've got billy walsh's director vince is the lead uh all these camera hands extras you 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 this is the first time that you cracked the egg opened to actually see what went into making a movie. And um, for me, you know, the, I, I'd never heard of like rewrites or, you know, a lot of the terms that they used. And I remember thinking like, oh, wow, Stephen Gagan just gets to fly in. And, you know, he's like <laughs> a freelance guy who yeah. 275 grand writes the ending of a movie that's 90% there. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I completely agree. It was a nice cameo too. It, it um they'd spent a lot of season 3 bringing on these big directors and writers and cameo roles as they're trying to like figure out the Medellin plot and having him just like buzz in and buzz out gave a, an air of like uh uh professionalism that I liked. Exactly. You know, 90% of the cameos on Entourage are sexy, popular yeah. actors, actresses, you know, or or musicians or athletes and i think to see like i still remember uh the scientology former scientologist paul paul haggis paul, paul haggis. haggis dude when paul haggis did that episode where he was writing you know and and he he did he directed crash yeah i thought that was super cool like i liked seeing some of these really well respected uh hollywood writers and directors that you never see on camera yep on this glamorous show um i i thought that lent an air of real legitimacy to you know at least uh entourage's ability to to source hollywood people i thought that was cool so did i and at the time when i was you know in my late teens early 20s watching the show it gave a face to these movies that I knew. Oh, that guy did traffic. Right. Oh, that guy did crash. Like I thought there was something cool about that. Totally. And you see these kind of like, you know, these writer types, these kind of nebbish, like, you know, but they're still slick and cool in a way. Yeah. And, and, and I liked it um, in this made up world of entourage. Right. I would say my favorite, just, I don't know if it's a single moment, but just art is just Billy Walsh, just tragically like falling apart as like this creative guy and he, he hates it. He hates the movie. He's like, I hate it. I hate it so much. Oh, there he is. The tour extraordinaire. Awesome, Billy. Bravo, Billy. Bravo. What's wrong? I hate it. You hate it? I hate it. Why? It looks great. It looks like shit, like a Hallmark Hall of Fame movie. Yeah, I did a couple good Hallmark Hall of Fame. Uh, Overlit, man. Dripping and shit. You, you jam that dp down my throat hey. this is what happens when i get jammed billy you pick the dp off your list suit hey, your billy. budget fucking list you go budget you get a budget ass billy. look i swear it looks great vince i love you but i swear it don't it looks like shit and i feel like crying i hate it so much i hate it billy, i hate it and i hate it i hate it chill out hey enough we're loving life huh he tattles the director of photography sven 
I hate it. I fucking hate it. Billy, Billy, Billy. You're fucking make it look like someone came on the fucking ladder. Billy, get off. You big fucking Scandinavian. I can't. Just his like slow meltdown over the course of this episode felt very honest to me. Like a guy who's in over his head, a guy who has way too much responsibility, who's only ever like done indie, you know, little low budget projects slowly having a meltdown. I I liked that idea of it. Now, the rest of season four is him, like, continuing to meltdown, which kind of wears a little bit, but I liked seeing it at the beginning of this season, if that made sense. I I think that's a great point. You know, I think Billy Walsh is the troubled, manic artist, gets a little one speed. Um, Definitely. But I do think here you can see this project that is so personal to him and how every aspect of it is affecting him from the, the romance or his attraction to that woman that he cast um, to not letting anyone see the clips that he's putting together. Uh, and, and especially I like that moment where they all snuck in yeah. the viewing room to sort of watch it. Um, and then what you said, which is, which is that he says, uh, I hate it. Uh, I could cry. I, I've had that feeling so many times after shooting something or, you know, you, you, you have an idea of how things will play out when you conceive of them. And then you look at the final thing and you're like, oh, this is so far away from what I had thought it would be. Yep. And then sometimes people are like, actually, it's good. Or otherwise they're like, yeah, you're right. This sucks. And uh, I don't know. You, you never like you never really like what you've made. And I, there's a tragedy in that, but it's it's definitely true to the to the art form. You you probably relate to this pretty well. I, I was a stand up comic out here in the Bay Area for eight years, so every time you set up a camera before you do stand up, oh yeah, usually <laughs> that set is not your best set. Totally, I found that at least personally. <laughs> Dude, anytime you're trying to get a tape, you fucking the, the audience is terrible, and then the one time you know you don't bring your camera you have the best audience you've ever experienced. Yep. You're loose. You're not thinking about the camera. Always 100%. the way it goes, for sure. And and then one more funny drama moment that I loved is when he's like talking to the camera, he's doing the mockumentary thing, he's cooling himself off with that portable fan. Yeah. And he goes, Well, whenever you're about to shoot, you get butterflies. But if you prepare to take care of your instrument, what can go wrong? Tony Danza taught me that when I did a little guest spot. We're about to roll out a film. Huh? We're going to roll out a film. Can I finish my story here? And then he just stares at the camera and it cuts away. Drama's utilized pretty perfectly in this episode. He's so good at just like the one-liners cut away. Absolutely. I I, I totally agree. I think he's so funny and self-deprecating. And I also love when he said, uh, yeah, it was me that hooked up with her. All I got was a hand job, though. And then Turtle's like, no chance, you know. I, I, he's such a great character. And then, of course, that tiny little cameo he has in the movie at the end where he's like, let's go. It's, you know, he plays the same character in all the roles he gets in this movie. Every week, Francis, we do a bros being bros moment. So not really like bro-y moments, but really just like moments of male friendship any moments jump out of you from this episode? It was a little sparse on these things. Um, I'll start off. Why the fuck are Turtle and Drama in the casting sessions with the actresses? <laughs> oh, yeah. That? 
Yeah, I, it's a great question. I mean, <laughs> clearly for the express purpose of, you know, of Billy and E kicking them out. Like yeah. that was the <laughs> they were included. Hola muchachos, mucho gusto. Do it Be professional. Okay. <clears throat> uh, okay, let's read through this once. I can read with. We could uh, leave the kiss out or not. Why are they in here? Get them out. You guys gotta go. Good luck. Bueno suerte. So, so your question is any moments that stu- stood out? So, like, male friendship. So, like, I think what people related to the most about this show is it was like, man, this is just a couple of guys being real friends. And I think that was really relatable. So, did any of those relatable friendship moments kind of stand out in this episode? I always like to use examples of when they're, like, making fun of each other. Another one from this episode is, like, they're in the edit room watching the dailies and they're, like, drinking beer and giving each other fist bumps. It's a little, like... A little over the top, but I mean, what else are you going to do when you're in Columbia with your buddies? Yeah, and, and they're fist bumping because of people getting shot and <laughs> murdered in the streets. It's like, yep. you know. Yep. No, yeah, I I, I do. Uh, I, I like the moment, as I said, kind of where, where E is consoling Billy and said, yeah. uh, you know, it's great. You've, you've, you're killing it. And uh Billy snaps out of it for a second and says, "That's the only. That's the first time you've ever complimented me before." Yeah. Yeah. Well, since when? You letting this girl mess up your mind? No, it's not about the girl. Man. Then what's your fucking problem? Moving in this jungle for the past five months. What? Man. We have it? Yeah. Well, you're just moving numbers around. I'm dealing with sets and extras and fucking explosions, big explosions, man. On my last movie, had twelve people in it. Twelve total. Billy, it's going great. All right, you're killing it. No. It's killing me, suit. I'm melting down. It's this humidity. I can't think in this humidity. And I need to think. You gotta finish. I can't. Yes, Billy, you can. All right? And we can't without you, so snap out of it. I'm here. I'll do whatever you need me to do. You really care, huh, suit? Yeah, I do. You know you've never given me a compliment before. I never knew you needed one. I do. And I need help with the ending. Please. It was a nice moment. I mean, who would have thought Billy Walsh would be so insecure? So I took care of it. And you realize that all these guys have so much at stake. Like they've they've really they've all believe in it, and they all have set their minds around the success of this of this project. And uh, they're all in it together. So and it also shows how sensitive creatives are. You could be like the hardest, you know, hard ass director on the planet, but at the end of the day, you're you're making. <clears throat> You're making a project. You want people to like it, so you want people to tell you that they liked it. Totally, totally. I like, I like that. I like the, sh- you know, the humanity of of the of the episode. <laughs> the humanity of Entourage. Can yeah. you believe that's what we're talking about oh, in 2020? Yeah. <laughs> um, what was your least favorite moment from this episode, Francis? What did you think of the like this filmed moments, like the stuff that we saw of the Medellin movie? I thought they were a little. They looked like they were made in the 80s, like in terms of how they were lit and cast and stuff like that. Clearly, this is a television show trying to yeah. recreate movie scenes. Um, and I, I think that I think there's a, a part of the, you know, Doug Allen and whoever and Wahlberg, whoever else mm-hmm. that was setting up 
this movie to to be bad, right? Yeah. Like ultimately, yeah. it's it turns out a horrible movie, and you watch those scenes, and I remember it like whatever fourteen or sixteen or however old I was watching this. And thinking like, and being sold that those movie yep. scenes could be part of a good movie. But looking back now, I'm like, oh yeah, if I had to sit through these slow motion <laughs> cornball kind of like Medellin violent scenes with a, a fat suit Vinny Chase speaking very bad Spanish, yep. you know, I would walk out of that movie. And yeah. that's what that's what they were doing. That's what they were creating, right? They were creating a movie that was so bad that people wanted to walk out. Es muy mal en Quizás alguien se equivocó. De pronto debería preguntarles a ellos. Como un favor para mí, hermano. Sí, patrón. Sí, sí, claro que sí. Hola, niño. ¿Quieres jugar un jueguito conmigo? Vamos con el patrón, niño. Vamos. Dame, dame, dame. Oh. Toma más, toma más. Gol! I have a question. Um, yeah. Because, and I don't mean to stray from our episode. No, let's do it. Uh, I remember they go to con and it bombs. Yeah. yeah, that's the last two episodes of the season. Yeah, and the Harvey Weinstein character yeah. says... Harvey Weingard. Yeah, says that he'll buy it for a dollar, which I always thought was just him insulting them. But then I remember E saying that maybe he could actually turn the movie around. Yeah. That's an interesting point, is you thought then that in season five we would still be dealing with the Medellin thing. I think my theory is that Dodell and the writers, etc., just like wanted to move past Medellin, wanted to move on to the phase of Vinny Chase's career where he's like a Hollywood outcast and can't get any work. Which, to be honest, I don't know how you felt, but I was exhausted by Medellin by the end of season four. Yeah, totally. I, I think that's totally right. Uh, so okay, I mean that 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 answers it for me because I yeah. I was always thinking like when is it going to come back? You know when is yeah. this refurbished version at the hands of Harvey Weingard going to <laughs> come back? And uh, it never did. We never saw it again. So maybe for the better yeah. because I mean Medellin was around since season two. It was part of the conversation. They were trying to get the script. I mean that's three full seasons of an HBO dramedy that we had to like talk about this movie when it finally bombed it felt like a nice chapter closing on on the thing yeah how many times have you watched the series it's interesting because <laughs> I wouldn't even claim to be a diehard I was a fan just like you I'm 31 now so I probably watched it a little later than you you know early college mid-college had all the DVD sets watch it with my friends on Sundays and then kind of like it fell to the wayside, and I would go back and revisit it maybe once every two or three years over the course of my early adulthood. And it was only last December 
my wife was out of town and I was like, I'm going to rewatch Entourage. And I've done some podcasts and I was like, this should be a podcast. And as soon as I started this, Francis, a lot of people started correcting me on all the things that I was getting wrong about the show. So I took a month off and rewatched the show very closely and then picked this thing back up again so that I, I feel like I'm a little bit more well-versed than a, than a normal Entourage fan, but I'm certainly no expert. Got it. Okay. <laughs> cool. No, very cool. I, I like it. I've had a couple people. I had comedian Ari Manasan, and he said, you're a nerd. You're an entourage nerd. And I was like, maybe, <laughs> or maybe I'm just a guy who like wants to talk about the show with people. Yeah. Uh, in that way, though, I'm probably a nerd. Ari's a good friend of mine. I love Ari. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's done a lot of work with Pro Bible on the, out in LA. Has um, he? Yeah, we did like a show with uh, Chad Goes Deep and uh, yeah. Annie Laterman and stuff like that down in uh, the Laugh Factory in Long Beach. Yeah. And, uh, I think he was a part of that. Dude, he's yeah. a great Good dude. dude. Uh, he and I have both opened for Theo Vaughn together. So That's right. That's right. I knew I knew there was a connection yeah. there with, uh, <clears throat> with Theo. Yeah. Um, any lines or quotes jump out at you from this episode? Entourage is like an endlessly quotable show. I've got a few if you if you need yeah, to start you Yeah, you start us out and I'll see if I can right. remember. No problem. Um, Billy Walsh says to the narrator, mockumentary Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies. I make films. Kind of like that douchey, artistic thing that like creatives do. Yeah. Which like... Oh, Who cares? It's that was a little cringeworthy, you know. Yep. It's so it's so on the nose. I you have to believe though that they were they were writing it tongue in cheek. They want to make him an unlikable character. Yeah, he really turns this season. Sadly, because I always liked the Billy Walsh character as like a wild card. Um, yeah. And this episode is Billy Walsh heavy. Let's be honest. Yeah, it is. He does have a great line when he's talking to Vince when Vince like. When Vince is like, Billy, I'm not fucking her. I promise I'm not fucking her. And he's like, well, she wants to be friends. And he has this really iconic line, which I think resonates with guys in general, resonates with people in general, which is... If any man, she told me she wanted to be friends. Yeah? Yeah, show me the girl who wants to be friends. I'll show you the guy who's fucking her. Well, it ain't me. <laughs> yeah, that was a good line. Yes. <laughs> totally, totally fair. Uh... That's a great line. <laughs> but, you know, it also made me wonder, like, why Why does Billy think he has a chance with this girl? I know. I also thought, you know, Vince should be having sex with her. That, that makes sense to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, should we talk about the girl? She's kind of the celebrity cameo faces in the crowd, like, amalgamation. I mean... Who is she? Sofia Vergara is oh. one of the most powerful women in Hollywood now. That's who it is? And she's playing village girl number two on this 2007 episode of Entourage. Almost anonymous, yeah. I mean, she's so stunning. Uh, but I didn't know who, I didn't realize it was her. Yeah, that's incredible. Sofia Margarita Vergara is was the top earning actress in American television in 2012, 2013, and 2016, and is among the best paid actresses in the world as of 2019. Since 2009, she has played Gloria Pritchard in the ABC comedy series Modern Family. She's been nominated for four Golden Globe Awards, four Primetime Emmy Awards, and seven Screen Actor Guild Awards. Forbes ranked her as the 32nd most powerful woman in Hollywood. And reported that her annual earnings were at forty-three million dollars a year. 
Holy shit. This might be the biggest, like, faces in the crowd we've ever had in Entourage. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, you know what's crazy, too, is this was only 2007. Yeah. Um, And she looks like a very young actress woman. Uh, As they said, I was picturing someone a little bit more homely and not so... Uh, who they who did E rec- liken her to? E said, "I'm picturing Linda Hunt from the Year of Living Dangerously, oh, and yeah. instead of Salma Hayek." Right, exactly. So, so yeah, it's right. like a Salma Hayek, you know, one of the most beautiful people ever. Yep. And yep. you've got instead you get uh you get her and and uh it's what's crazy is she be went Sofia Vergara went on to play this like beautiful. I don't. I, I I hate to use the word milf. Yeah, but that's yeah. kind of what you know. I I think she is on t- that character on TV, and here you see her as this young, totally different, glowing actress. I don't know. She's obviously beautiful in everything she does, but I I didn't even recognize her. I didn't realize it was it was her. And I think that's because of the conception of her now, which is this, you know, milfy power figure in Hollywood. She's been like, she's been the star of like Hollywood films now, and she's essentially an extra in this episode. It's crazy. Which is wild. Wow. Yeah. Probably in my mind, the highlight of this episode, just in terms of the like arc of that actress and like, I think this was only her second or third American acting job. She previously had been a... Uh, daytime TV host on the Deportes channel or whatever you would call it, like the <laughs> Spanish television. Oh my God. Uh, okay, let's do this. I'm a little bit nervous. No, don't be. Todo bien. So, what do you think? She's fantastic. Yeah. He? Well, I loved it, but we're talking about the village girl. And? Well, it's just not how I saw her. No, how did you see her? Kind of like Linda Hunt, the year of living dangerously. <laughs> Really? What, you saw Selma Hayek? I didn't see Selma Hayek when that girl just read. Have some fucking imagination, Sue. Makeup, wardrobe. She could be more plain, as you say, but her essence is something special. Let's try to talk, let's move the conversation into, like, things that are outdated about this episode, or maybe, like, how this episode would be different in 2019. This category is usually pretty rife for for conversation because they're in Hollywood and they're doing things and they're making deals and they're in and out of meetings. But this is a little different since they're in Columbia, this whole episode. Right. What did you think of this whole like episode being shot as a mockumentary? That's like so common now that I feel like if Entourage was shot in 2019, the whole thing would be a mockumentary. Dude, it's a great point. I, I remember when it happened being kind of confused for the first 10 minutes of the episode. Because it was such a departure from the Los Angeles aimless wandering to lunch meetings and then studios and then nightclubs that we we've come <laughs> accustomed to, and now all of a sudden we were seeing this so you know behind the scenes DVD extra of the making of Medellin, and I didn't love it when I first oh, saw wow. it. Uh, but rewatching it again, I think it was a much more interesting. It's also it's like a pretty ambitious way to start uh, the, a new season, right? Because it's Definitely. the first they they've been on hiatus or whatever for a while, 
And to come back like this is a very interesting way. I would have thought this would have been in the middle of a season or something. Agreed, but I'm, I'm going to disagree with you on one thing and only because it's a timing thing. So season three, as you know, was broken out into two parts because of the writer's strike. Right. So season three ended in June, I think it was like June 7th, 2007. This episode, the season four premiere, premiered two weeks later. So season three and season four picked up like within two weeks of each other. Oh. And it was only because of the writer's strike in season three that this got pushed back so long. Just an interesting, you know, insider entourage nerd fact. Well, I'm glad. No, that totally dispels my point. It renders it moot <laughs> and stupid. So Sorry, Francis. You are not either of those had things. Had I known I would be humiliated like this, I'm not <laughs> sure I would have downloaded Zencaster. Agreed to be on this toxic, <laughs> toxic podcast. So, oh, the other thing I wanted to just point out: we don't really take shots at the wardrobe anymore. We used to have a category about it, but oh, just all the cargo shorts are hilarious, dude. <laughs> some of the outfits, the when they're walking it, they don't look good in shorts. Any of no, guys. no, they look terrible in shorts. And it's funny because Billy Walsh and Obviously, Vince looks so tall next to E. Oh, that's true. And they look long and tall. And I've met Adrian Grenier, and I I think he's like, I don't know, 5'10 or something. That's pretty tall for a Hollywood actor I in, in terms so. of. How tall is Adrian <laughs> Grenier? Uh, yeah, 5'10. There you go. Yeah. And Jerry Ferrara's 5'4, Kevin Connolly's 5'5, and Kevin Dillon's only 5'9. So. Clearly, they yeah. surrounded Vince with people that would make him look tall as some willowy actor. But, um, yeah, that scene where they all come out and Vince is wearing, like, socks that come up above his ankles. And I'm pretty sure Turtle's wearing jean shorts that, like, Jinko jean shorts. And uh, and you're like, wow. In Columbia. Yeah. With the humidity at 120 <laughs> degrees. This would be awful. <laughs> <laughs> Drama's wearing cargo shorts with a like a dress belt over a tank top and an unbuttoned Hawaiian, which is perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. That doesn't need to change. No. <laughs> and he keeps wearing he always wears his five towns hat. <laughs> Too good. Perfect. Every week, Francis, we'd have a sixth man award. So someone, man or woman, who just kind of you know, made good use of their on-screen minutes and uh, leaves a memorable impression. Maybe someone not from the initial cast of the show. Anyone from this episode? Yeah, I liked uh, when when uh, when Billy is questioning all of the people about whether or not they had sex with her, <laughs> with Sofia Vergara, and that yep. overweight, Colum- you know, cute or Colombian guy. It's just like I clearly I didn't do it, you know. I promised me. You're like, dude, this guy would have killed her. That was I like that guy a lot. That guy nailed his uh, his defense. What's going on? I was interrogating the whole crew to find out who's been with his girl. Fuck you. Oh, fuck you. I'm gonna ask you one time, Chochito. And if I find out you're lying to me, I'm not going to be happy. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do, Billy. I, I do. And I'm not lying. I swear. I never touched her. Never. Next. Billy. What's up, Sue? We need to talk now. No, I'm busy. 
get your ass up and walk with me right now, or as God is my witness, I will send you packing today, and I will finish this movie without you. Who's gonna direct, Turtle? That's pretty good. I like that as a Sits Man Award. I will nominate um, Nicky Rubenstein. They cut oh, yeah. away at one point. Yeah, Ari's talking about how, like, the money's, you know, drying up, and then we cut to Nitty Rubenstein, he's, like, in rehab, chain-smoking cigarettes, looks like hell, and they have that, like, found footage of him getting arrested with <laughs> yeah. cocaine in his trunk, and then, like, walking out of the courtroom and freaking out on reporters. It's so bad, it's good. Well, what happened was, uh, I was on my way to the airport in Los Angeles uh, when I was pulled over, and uh, the officer found some cocaine. Uh, well, so. A lot of cocaine, <laughs> actually. Um, and probably asking yourself, you know, why on earth uh, was I bringing cocaine to Colombia? Um, well, truthfully, uh, I wasn't. As it turns out, it was an old bag that had been lying in my trunk for years. Uh, I'd just completely forgotten about it. So, yeah. Mm. In either case, the judge didn't really buy that. Uh, meanwhile, my uh, passport has been taken away while I await trial. My uh, bank accounts were frozen. And there's, uh, there's no more money. So I can uh, only pray that the 30 mil I, I sunk into this thing isn't going down some Colombian drain, right? Because uh, there's a, you know, there's no suicide watch here. You know what I mean? It's perfect. I did like that. That's Adam Goldberg. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What a iconic character. Yeah, Adam. he's been so great. Um, God, he was hysterical. <laughs> that set up the, you know, the the people doing their interviews um, on camera and then cutting to other footage really well. Kind of like what The Office does. Yep. Um, because then they cut to him being arrested and he was like, I thought that was so funny when he was like, it was just cocaine that I'd had in there for a while and I'd forgotten about. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't believe that. <laughs> yeah. That didn't hold up in court. Yeah, yeah, that Christopher Guest style, Parts and Rack, The Office, all those shows that have now, and even Modern Family, the show that Sofia Vergara has done like 300 episodes of, have made livings for themselves on this fake mockumentary style. I don't know. I would watch like a season of Entourage 2019 as a, as a mockumentary. I think that'd be, it'd be a risk, but it'd be interesting, I think. Totally. Totally. Yeah, I completely agree with that. We talked about drama a little bit. What was your favorite drama moment from this episode? He's got, you know, minimal scenes, but they're all pretty fucking funny. Yeah. Uh, I think I think the one you mentioned where where he starts saying that he they tell him they're running out of time. And then he goes, can I just finish my story? He's the fighting. He's the funniest character from the show. I mean, you know, people love to say Ari, Jeremy Piven won three Emmys for it, but people don't realize that Tevin Dillon also got nominated for two Emmys in the same category. So every year, Piven was beating out Dillon for the role. I would have loved to see, you know, Johnny Drama win one, you know? Yeah. Been nice. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think he deserved it. Absolutely. I have one more. It's another cutaway. He's talking about how he nailed one of his directors on Melrose Place. I nailed one of my directors on Melrose Place. That was the year they threw me off, actually. You think that might have been the reason? I don't know. I never really thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, just occurring to him. Uh, just occurs okay. to him now that he like lost this huge TV job because he might have slept with one of the directors. 
the way Dylan, like, the his, when things, like, dawn on him, his expressions are fucking perfect. Yeah, like, yeah, he really is a good actor. I, I do oh. think he's spectacularly funny. Couple categories left, Francis, and then we'll get you out of here. So who this week won the episode? Vince can't win. He wins every week. He's the A-list movie star. Which character on the show won this week? I think Billy kind of wins in yeah. a way. Yeah, yeah, because I think you know the much of the episode is about him losing control and fighting so hard to maintain his vision and his control over this entire project. And in the end, he admits that he needs help. He needs help writing the ending. He, you know, is is relinquishing uh, his ownership over everything and. Somehow, in the end, it all comes back to not only did he finish the rewrite himself, but he has final cut and final say, yeah. and nobody else is going to be able to see it until he feels he's ready. So, I that's a nice sort of twist on on that yeah. character arc, and I would say that if you're Billy Walsh, you, you think, okay, now it's mine again. I mean, he, you know, his. 100% I agree with you. Billy Walsh wins the episode. It is a nice arc throughout the whole thing. He's melting. First he has control, then he melts down over a girl, then he regains control, and then at the end he like pulls an ending essentially out of his ass, which you know we'll get to. And again, he's not great the rest of the, the, the season, but this episode he's great. His lines, his... I don't mention, did you notice the like opening title card thing with him? It made no sense, but it was hysterical. It said said, Medean is not a movie. It's life. It's how it is. Oh, yeah. And I defy anyone to define where life stops and the film starts, or vice versa, Billy Walsh. Why would they post? Like, who is he saying that quote to? And, like, it, it, it's mind-boggling that, like, someone would say something like that and think it as profound. Oh, <laughs> completely. As if, you know, this documentary we're about to see was shot ten years after the fact. Exactly. And his quote about this movie has been immortalized. Uh, At first, I couldn't, I was thinking that that was actually going to be a quote from Pablo Escobar. Same. Yeah. And I'm sure that's what they wanted you to believe. Um, But then, you know, it so cheekily sets up the whole episode. Billy, do you think you made a good film? Well, I'll tell you this it's either going to be genius or it's going to fucking suck. Until I see the first cut, I have no idea. But you know what? Neither does anybody else. So was this an A-list episode, a B-list episode, or a D-list episode, Francis? Uh, You can give plus or minuses, too. I would give this episode a B, a flat B. Okay. I think, you know, it was an interesting uh, experiment and a, 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 a very cool that they they went as far as they did in, in changing up and departing from what was working so well um, in, in L.A. and, you know, just yeah. showing rich, fancy stuff. Uh, but I also found it a little bit uh, – I had a hard time buying a lot of it, you know? <laughs> what do you give it? I'm probably going B plus because I liked the departure from the normal, you know, beat by beat of uh, the L.A. episodes. I bet you were a little bummed as we didn't get to talk about like, you know, 
whatever, a car, a music drop, a, a celebrity. For me personally, you know, rewatching this thing week after week, it was a nice departure. And it also, now rewatching this as an adult man, kind of as you mentioned earlier, you can see all the cracks. You're like, oh, you know, rookie director who's melting down, rewrites, badly filmed scenes. When I was 16, 17, 18 watching this episode, I was like, yeah, they're doing it. They're making the movie. And now I'm going, wow, this thing's a fucking train wreck. So the episode does a good job of highlighting that. So that's why I'm giving it a B plus. And it's probably one of the better episodes in season four, not to foreshadow what we have coming up. Yeah, <laughs> got it. What do you think is the best uh, season of the show? That's a good question. I've talked about this before with with another guest i don't remember but it's somewhere between seasons two and three i prefer season two season three when it gets split into two seasons that last half of season three becomes kind of a slog because it gets watered down with all the uh median stuff in season two vince is not a movie star yet and he wants to be a movie star he becomes a movie star early on and then it's him kind of navigating that the next steps post movie stardom with his friends. And I liked that. I liked it. It felt fresh. It felt exciting. And it felt, you know, you were vicariously living through the die. You're like, Oh, what, what would it be like if me and my friends suddenly became rich and famous? So I liked the like post Aquaman stuff in season two. What about you? I, I, yeah, I I do. I think that's absolutely spot on. And and season two is my answer. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. I just think the bar mitzvah episode yep. is the best episode of the show. I really think that's my number one. I I watched. I remember watching that episode over and over and over again. I thought that was such a good episode. Um, we we meet Sloan that episode. That's the first episode. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. And there's all kind. Of, that's the beginning of the Mandy Moore love interest. Yeah. And I just think Turtle and Drama steal the show. It's uh, you know, all the weed and stuff. It's fantastic. That uh, season also has the Sundance episode. It has yeah. my personal favorite, which is my Maserati does 185, where they uh, like go to the Lakers game and sit courtside and then go to a party at uh, Jamie Presley's house. It, it also, it was the like first full season of the show, you know, post like that first initial six episode run where you kind of fall in love with it in, in a way. Right, <laughs> not to speak so romantically. About no, I totally trash. agree. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And 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 then seeing them in, in there, uh, in those kinds of places, uh, you know, courtside at a Lakers game, or I love that episode where they go to the U two concert and they yep. film them in the crowd. Yeah, it's so cool. It's just like, you know, that's real. I'm sure those the actors stayed for the entire game and the mm-hmm. entire episode and the entire concert. So if you guys haven't listened to that episode, that episode is I love you too from season two. I think I had Adam Ray on uh comedian, Adam Ray. We talked a lot about Tomaton and you two and, and stuff like that. It was uh, a lot of fun. So very cool. Francis. Yeah. Last question. I asked this of all my new guests to the pod and this has been a lot of fun and I hope we can do this again, maybe in person and maybe about a little bit more regular entourage episode. Who are you in your own real life entourage? Oh man. Like what character would I compare myself to? What character from the show are you closest to essentially? Well, I think, I think the obvious answer is probably God. I I can't say I'll do, let me do process of elimination. I can't say Ari. Um, Cause I'm not, you know, in representation. 
I think E makes some sense. Yeah. Because for one, I remember they called him a nesting creature that he's very, uh, he loves <laughs> being in love. He loves love and he jumps from one sure. serious relationship to the next. So I'm kind of like that. I, 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 you know, I'm a, I like being in uh, relationships. <laughs> sure. Sure. I'm the same way. Yeah. But uh, no, he's, um, you know, and he, he's like, seems to have the best head on his shoulders. He's got a better sense of the long game. Uh, he's, he's business minded and acerbic and, uh, but, you know, obviously sensitive to a fault and sure. I, I, I think it's a combination of E and, and a little bit of Vince maybe uh, sure. because I am a creative person trying to make it as an actor and comedian. Yeah. So who knows? Absolutely. There's no shame in saying Vince. I mean, we have people trying to dance around it, but if you're an actor, if you're a comedian, if you're trying to make it in show business, you're Vince in some sense. Yeah. In the word. But uh, yeah, I think there's, there's definitely a, a common between those two, I would say. Definitely. Good answer. Great episode of Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah. Francis, thank you so much for joining us this week. Buddy, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, thanks for all of you for listening. Go on, Taraj. Where can the listeners of Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah follow you? Where can they see you live? Where can they listen to sure. you? Sure. Uh, you can follow me at on Instagram at Francis C.C. Ellis. Uh, I'll be at in Philly, uh, Helium Comedy Club, March 5th Ooh. to the 7th. Uh, come check that out. I'll also be headlining the Charleston Comedy Festival in Charleston, South Carolina on January 17th. Um, so those are right around the corner. Oh, get tickets for all that at FrancisEllis.com. Perfect. Francis, let's do this again after the new year, maybe in person in New York or something like that. Have a great New Year's, and I'll talk to you soon. You too. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.